entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center in beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Oh, it's not a costume. I'm an elf. Oh. Well, technically I'm a human, but I was raised by elves. New Line Cinema presents the story of one elf who's coming home for Christmas. Boy. Can't wait to see my dad. We're going to go ice skating and eat sugar plums. (laughs) Sorry. Now. I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad. We should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. Buddy's experiencing a world he never knew existed. Buddy's your son. What am I going to do? He's certifiably insane. Discovering what it takes to fit in. And going where no elf has gone before. What he needs is to be nurtured. Bring him home. Introduce him to Emily and Michael. How long do you think you'll be with us? I was thinking, like, forever. This holiday season. I think you're beautiful and my tongue swells up when I am around you. Get ready. I plan out our whole day. I thought maybe we could make gingerbread houses and maybe even hold hands. For a tall tale. Or we can get the star on top. Of elfish proportions. I got it. Will Ferrell. Okay, people, Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! I know him. I know him. Elf. Do you remember me? Do I didn't recognize you. I know, I'm in work clothes. I didn't know you had elves here. Right, you're, you're hilarious, my friend. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Hey, you're feeling strong, my friend. Call me elf one more time. He's an angry elf. Look at you. Ow. Buddy the elf, what's your favorite color for this town? Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hey, this is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cards, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cards. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you missed any of our past shows, 
Visit the archive page, Nostalgic Video and Carbs. And, Bobby, good evening, how are you? You talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? Yeah, see, I have to find uh, some way to come back in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. welcome. Hello, Tampa Bay. I'm back. <laughs> My son, Bobby's home for the Christmas holidays, so we're delighted to have him. Bobby, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how to find out about us on uh, YouTube. Oh, sure. Um, yes, this wonderful new YouTube live here at the Tantalk Radio Network. Uh, you can uh, watch live in studio video of Nostalgic Radio and Cars just by going to YouTube and searching for, excuse me, searching for uh, Tantalk Radio Network. Um, YouTube channel, and uh, then you will find it'll be the first video you, you, that pulls up on the page. How about that? How about that? Okay. Well, you know, Merry Christmas, everybody. And a week after that, it's going to be Happy New Year. Wow, time flies. It's hard to believe we're going to be 2019. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Anyway, we started here, what, May 13th, 2010. So 2019 will be officially well into our ninth year. We're nine and a half, or eight and a half right now, I believe. And uh, so uh, I think we're, we're having a good time. I think we're on a decent track record here. Made a lot of friends along the way. I've had some very, very interesting guests on, on the show, I'm proud to say. And uh, we do our best job here to keep the content interesting. And you are the most patient man in radio. <laughs> yeah you know that thank you and uh who was that by the way bobby that said that that was the legendary rob bartlett rob bartlett oh yeah we need to use, you know what we need to give him a call maybe we can get him on again he was he's pretty got cool. a new comedy show on uh wabc up there and new york all that and he's getting his broadway stuff all back and good know. good 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 so uh at any rate uh See, we get the Christmas. Well, let's go to the Florida Car Shows Minute real quick, which I just happen to have the website up, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Do you know how to drive a radio station? Yeah, I've been. Uh, I stay in my lane, as they say. I stay in feel my lane cur- and I hold the line. Bump the curbs. Feel the curbs. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. I bump the curbs because my eyeballs aren't as good as they used to be. So that's kind of how I get home. I, I don't have curb feelers. I got uh, scuffed up white walls. And uh, so I bounced off the curbs all the way back to Largo. At any rate, well, this past weekend, speaking of Largo, they had the uh, Largo uh, parade, right? And uh, as usual, we are typically in it. Unfortunately, it, we have uh, – it was raining that day, and we had a lot of stuff that we are going to put on the back of the truck, and uh, including audio equipment and stuff like that. And we just didn't really want to run the risk of getting anything wet. So we apologize if uh, you were waiting for our debut – but we have emerged stronger from that, and we have uh, a plan A through Z for all future parades now. Yes, 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 yeah. We have contingency plans. So if A doesn't work, we'll go to B. If B doesn't work, we'll go to C. And there's about 23 uh, more letters in the alphabet and until uh, we get down to Z. And then, uh, but we will, we will make it next year. We will definitely have a contingency plan. At any rate, uh, what's going on in the uh, Tampa Bay area? Well, let's see. you got a number of car shows taking place. Um, one that's going to be interesting is up in Lutz, Trinity Car Meet. Different. Uh, Hardee's, if you want to go up to Wikiwachi, they have their little doohickey up there. One of the things that we're going to do after the first of the year, uh, with in conjunction with one of our sponsors, which is the Rib Shack Barbecue, located at 426. Now, think about that, 426. That name's got to ring a bell to you guys. 426 West Bay Drive. 
Their phone number is 727-501-9090. That's the Rip Shack Barbecue in Largo. We're going to be doing, effectively, Monday nights, probably between 6 and 8, because we're open until 8. We're going to do ribs and rides. So it'll just be a casual, impromptu gathering where we'll just sit there and talk car stuff. Uh, they have some TV screens in there, so if you guys want to watch sports or if you want to watch Discovery or if you want to watch some car stuff, we can probably do that. We can probably persuade them into giving us a clicker so that we can change the channel appropriately to what guys like to watch. Um, anyway, so that's going to be on Monday nights. And uh, so we'll send out a uh, – if you follow us on Facebook and some of our other social media, we'll be doing something on that along with that. Let's see. So uh, along with the ho, 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 and Merry Christmas, Mecham Auctions is January 3rd through the 13th. That's At first I said that's 10 days. That's 11 days. 11 days, 3,500 cars. That's a ton of cars. And then the week after that uh, commences Scottsdale Collector Car Week. Now, you need to put Scottsdale Collector Car Week on your bucket list. You hear me talking about this every year. Scottsdale Amelia Island, Monterey, and SEMA. Those are the ones you want to go to. Those are the biggies. Those are the huge ones that you want to go to. That's where everybody, all the car people, all the, all the significance in the biz, the who's who, they will be at those particular events. January 27th down in Sarasota is the, I'm gonna, I don't want to say legendary, but it's been going on for a long, long, long time. I know I've been going there over 20 years. It's the Kaiser Devereaux. Show and that uh, used to take place at the Sarasota Square Mall. We used to go down there back in the day, and they had easily a thousand cars. And uh, it's just you know what's amazing. What's ama- what ama- never ceases to amaze me, which is what I like to why I like to go to some of these other events in some of the other counties. You go to Orlando, and they have a number of events up there. And again, you can find out all this information at, at FloridaCarShows.com. You go to Orlando, and there's a ton of different cars, different people. Now, the one thing that goes on every week over there in Orlando at Old Town is the car show. That's on Saturday, right, Bobby? Saturday in the afternoon? The till Saturday uh, night cruising in uh, Old Town in Kissimmee, Florida, which is the one of the longest running in the country. Is it really? I did not know that. Okay, that's cool. I know I've been going there also since uh, since the 80s. I used to go there with my friend Joe, and you and I have been there a number of times. And uh We've taken mommy along, you know, because there's always something to do for the ladies. So, you know, because there's car guys hanging out and talking about the car stuff. And then they got the, the shops and all the stuff. And then they got entertainment and rides and all kinds of stuff going on there now. Go-kart track, too, as a matter of yes, fact, right? Yes, uh, fun spot. Yes, that's that's all in the little amusement section. But also, if you haven't checked it out recently, they have been going through and renovating it street by street. So it is um, looked quite different from uh, what we might remember a few years ago. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see, the Cavallino, if you're into Ferraris, the Cavallino is also the weekend of the 26th. That takes place down at the Breakers. And, um, while we're on the subject of car shows and exotic cars, I think we should talk a little bit about uh, our good friends over there at Fast Lane Travel and Fast Lane Luxury Travel. Now, what Fast Lane Travel is, is years and years ago, They've been, uh, for years and years and years and years, going back to the 70s, mid-70s, they've been conducting these really fantastic tours to Germany to the Porsche factory, Porsche Fabrik in Stuttgart. Okay, I will say that in my German, in my German. Ich werde das in Deutsch sagen, das macht das ganz einfach, weil wir haben auch deutsche Zuhörer. 
At any rate, hopefully uh, Google caught all that. Yeah, hopefully Google caught all that and translated it for us. Yeah, that's cool. So at any rate, um, so Fastlane Travel, and I know I went with them um, back in 1980 and also in 81, went to the factory at the Porsche factory. And back then, it was still relatively, I'm going to say still kind of original, old school. They had Works 1, Works 2. Works 1 is where the original Porsches were built, the 356s, early 911s. Works 2 is where all the race cars were built. And, of course, you had the huge factory, and that's kind of evolved into something really, really cool these days. So uh, we have teamed up with uh, Fastlane Travel, and uh, we're going to be doing some stuff together with them. So if you want to find out more about trips to Europe to the Porsche factory, then you will definitely look up FastlaneTravel.com, and their phone number is 813-343-3001. But they don't only do just trips to the Porsche factory. They arrange these events so that they're like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine days. And inclusive in some of the packages are these amazing trips where you literally rent a Porsche, a Porsche 911, a Porsche Cayenne, a Porsche Macan, a Porsche Panamera, whatever is available. They're rented through Avis. And you get to go on these really, really fun tours. One of the first things you do, obviously, when you leave Stuttgart as you head towards München, which is Munich, is you get a chance to blast on the Autobahn, and that little stretch right there, it's vision, it's vision, that's German for between, between uh, Munich and Stuttgart, there's no speed limits. It's three lanes, both directions, and uh, basically you can get the car up to 150 miles an hour with no problem. In some cases, I think I, you may be able to go a little faster, but we'll just say they have what they call the 150-mile-an-hour club. So you can join that. Now, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, I've driven fast. Well, you start getting up around 100 miles an hour, get around 110, get around 120, you know, the road starts getting very, very narrow, and the, the little lines go by really, really fast. Now, I have done high-speed driving pretty much since I was a little wee one, and, uh, and I've driven over there on the Autobahn. And, uh, yeah, for some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. <laughs> beautiful, Bobby. I like that one. That was very good. That was Buford D. Bessa of the, was it Texas? No, Louisiana Texas State Patrol. Texas, well, yeah, yeah, Texas, Texas, yeah. Yeah, right, from uh, Smokey and the Bandit. But anyway, so I've driven extremely fast over there, but I've driven very fast over here in the United States. I know we're not supposed to do that, but uh, hey, I used to street race as well. So, but when you get up around 140, 150 miles an hour, uh, you get a whole new perspective. In fact, one of the trips, they actually, if you, I think there's a video of it, they actually have a guy in a 918 doing 212 miles an hour. 212. That was a private deal, and the guy went off on his own, at his own risk, and his own driver's license. Don't make me come up! Uh, I'm sorry, i got to call you back. <laughs> and uh, so that is 340 kilometers kilometer that's pretty fast so fortunately we can still have uh enjoy no speed limits in in, in many sections of the german autobahn and uh so fast lane travel is a place to go but they take these amazing tours they go through the swiss alps the austrian alps the italian alps they go down to tuscany they go through some of these beautiful wine vineyards the scenery down there is just incredible so if you get a chance definitely check out their website uh, fastlanetravel.com now on that note i think we're going to fire up the turntable we've got a very interesting guest for you and since for the month of december we are doing what bobby the countdown to christmas the countdown to christmas and we're going to be talking about guys that are basically in the t- model car model toy business so stick around you're tuning into nostalgic radio cars here's a little rolling stones 
Give me shelter. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you tune in to Nostalgic Video and Cars. Speaking of pretty cool sound effects, that one you just heard was, uh, I think, one of the races at uh, Monterey. But nonetheless, coming up in January, on Saturday, January 26th, and through Sunday, January 27th, is the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Yep, 24-hour Daytona. And I have been going to that event, that event since, God, since 76, 77, somewhere around there. <coughs> At any rate, so there should be some pretty interesting cars there, some pretty fancy stuff going out there. Uh, the GTP cars, pretty incredible. 
And uh, now the field's kind of uh, spread out a little bit. So you got Porsche, obviously. You got Aston Martin out there. You got Lamborghini out there. You got Audi out there. You know, you got the uh, Toyota out there, I think. And you've got Lexus out there now. And I believe Penske is fielding an Acura this year in uh, GTP and prototype class. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how that turns out. And, of course, the Ford GT will be there, Canassi and his team. So, naturally, we're going to be rooting for the red, white, and blue, the almighty powerful Ford. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a, those other cars there. What is it called? It has a, a bow tie on it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, Chevrolet. At any rate, uh, the Corvette guys will be there as, as well. And, um, but hopefully Ford will spank them pretty hard. And uh, but you know what's interesting about the GTP class is the G- it's the prototype class. But it's you know I always talk about this and racing. In my opinion, the heyday of racing was probably really racing when it was really cool and very fast was in the late '60s, early '70s, particularly when they had Can-Am racing and Trans-Am. Trans-Am, which is basically your Mustangs and your Camaros and your Cougars and your Firebirds, and they were pretty much unregulated. I mean, it was kind of run what you brung. Kind of, you know, but it was just an extremely innovative time in racing, you know, because there was a lot of stuff that they hadn't really developed, ground effects being one of them. And, uh, you know, a lot of the new uh, fuel injection was just coming in at that point in time, too. And Can-Am was just ungodly because you talk about aerodynamics and ground effects. It's definitely with those guys, you know, the ground pounders. And But the thing was is you could look at a, a Trans-Am car and tell it was a Mustang. You could tell it was a Camaro. You could tell it was a Firebird. You could tell it was a Datsun. You could tell it was an Alfa Romeo. And... Uh, you know, you can identify with the cars. Today, it's very, very difficult because the cars don't look anything like that. Now, it's the GT class um, looks pretty much like what it did. And, of course, in the Can-Am days, you had, you know, you had McLarens, you had uh, um, uh, Shadows, you had uh, Lolas, you had the Ford GT. You know, again, you could identify with some of the cars, but there was some pretty exotic stuff out there today or back then. And today, of course, you have some really exotic stuff out there. And uh, at one point, I think uh, Daytona was doing something with their – Daytona prototypes where they're trying to standardize the cars and then you just pretty pretty much run whatever you wanted to in terms of their um, drivetrains. You could run Porsche, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, Nissan, Acura, whatever. But uh, the problem is when they all look the same, then it turns into spec racing. And spec racing is, yeah, I understand the concept. You want to keep the cost down, but it's just, they're boring. You know, you want to be able to look at the cars and tell what they are. Anyway, I think it's time to go ahead and get our guests on the phone. So what we're going to do is we're going to fire up the turntable again. We're going to play some more music for you guys. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. We've got a really cool guy coming on. He does some really neat stuff. This guy that's coming on is very, very talented, I might add. And he has to have a really, really good set of eyeballs to do what he does. So stick around. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Here is a little. What are we listening to, Bobby? Some long train running by the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers.
Cary Grant and this year's Academy Award winner, Grace Kelly. Two exciting personalities who were made for each other. And now Alfred Hitchcock brings them into very close contact in this perfect tale of romantic intrigue filmed on the beautiful French Riviera. With a very strong grip, the kind of burglar need. The scandalous romance that shocked even the blasé international set between this restless, thrill-hunting American heiress and the notorious man of mystery the French underworld called the Cat. For the game they played was not played for money, and the characters they played with played for keeps. No one but Hitchcock could create such relentless excitement, filling the screen with fireworks as he matches the blazing talents of these two great stars in the love affair of the year. Look, John, hold them. Have you ever had a better offer in your whole life? One with everything. Come down, Robbie, or we shall be forced to shoot! Hi, this is Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers, and you are rocking with Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yeah, you are rocking with Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. You know, over the years, many, many years, when I was a little kid, one of the first things I used to do, one of my favorite things to do, was to build models. I still build models. They're just a little bigger now, instead of... uh, they're one-to-one, let's put it that way. But uh, the gentleman that's coming on the phone here in a few seconds is the founder of CMA Models and also the co-founder of Automobilia Magazine. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Marshall Buck. Marshall, how you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Well, you are the first guest that I've had on in our time zone in probably, I can't remember, months and months and months and months. So welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad to be in the same time zone. Yeah, and Merry Christmas to you up there. You're probably, do you have any white stuff on the ground yet? Fortunately, no. Um, you know, I used to love it when I was a kid, but um, not so much anymore, and uh, it's just cold up here at the moment. It's just cold. Okay. Well, give us a little background on yourself. Tell us how you got into models. Now, I read your bio, but I want you to tell our listeners. Ah, okay. Well, I'll give you the uh, the abbreviated version. Okay. And uh, it was, I mean, it all started when I was a kid. I mean, I just, I loved uh, cars, and I loved models, and I loved toys, and I would just see these things, and uh they just, uh, you know, they screamed to me. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we had a lot of um, uh, family friends that were either into collecting cars or just, you know, happened to have the latest, greatest, whether it was a sports car or luxury car. I'd see that stuff. Um, you know, of course, there were the the toy stores and the hobby stores that existed back then. And, you know, if you walked into one of them, oftentimes there was a wall full of model kits, you know, with all sorts of great art and renderings. Um, I would see car magazines. I'd buy those. And I was just... You know, I was just drawn to that stuff, um, and one thing led to another. Started buying kits when I was a kid. You know, attempting to build. Um, I would pick up some uh, car magazines all the time, and often they would have uh, something on models or on a famous model maker in there. I'd start to read and learn a little more, and it just you know one thing led to another. Just progressed. Started building on the side um, as I was doing other other work, other jobs throughout my life, <clears throat> and um, uh, some of what I ended up building, I was able to start selling. And that helped supplement what I was uh, spending on uh, my own addiction, which was my hobby, my, my collecting, uh, built models and also um, kits. And uh, it just it, it snowballed. And uh, 
one day, uh, one of my uh, customers uh, asked me when I was delivering models to him. He said, "You know, what do you do when you're not building models for me? What do you, what do you, what's your work?" I told him. And at that time, I was in uh, working at a post-production uh, video facility in Manhattan. And um, one thing led to another. And by the end of the conversation, he was backing me and uh, helping putting me into business full time. The um, at one point there, I was reading your bio. You had something to do a connection with Aurora. Now I'm assuming Aurora yep. made obviously the the little uh, one. Uh, the really small slot car or the really right. tiny cars, but they also yep. made a lot of model kits because I've actually had a number of Aurora model kits. So what was the connection with Aurora? Well, with Aurora, I mean, I was, again, one of the things I was into from uh, being a kid was uh, slot racing, uh, HO cars. Uh, when I was, I think it was about six or seven, I was given a slot racing set, an HO scale uh, uh, set from by Aurora um, as, a, uh, as a gift. And um, that, I, I got bitten hard by that and just loved the racing and would start to, again, buy catalogs. I was buying Auto World, Auto World catalogs when I was uh, about uh, 12 or 13, and you'd see all these great images of, of slot racing sets with uh, landscape and scenery, and then you know, I'd come across another magazine that would have something special on that. I'd try to learn about it. I'd read up on it. And, I, again, I taught myself how to um, uh, draw and scale, and uh, I would do these bird's-eye view uh, layouts with uh, clear acetate layovers showing different different things that would be added or deleted from the track, and I had all these race uh, track designs. A friend of the family um, who was a collector uh, saw what I was doing and uh, loved it and said, oh, you know, these are really great. We've got to do something with them, and you know, you got to sell this stuff or get in with a company. You know, I was just a kid. I didn't know anything. And um, anyway, he helped me get um, an intro in terms of just the names of the people at Aurora Toys, which used to exist. They had their office was um, in uh, New York, actually, out on uh, Long Island in Hempstead. And um, they put me, you know, gave me the tools that I needed in terms of telling me what to do and how to do it. And I got the phone numbers and I called them up for for an appointment. I guess I was about maybe 15 at the time. And um, I called them and I was talking to them and they had seen some of what I had uh, done in terms of some images that had been sent to them. And uh, so they made it, they were arranging to make an appointment uh, for me with the head of R&D over there, research and development. And um, they were about to give me, well, actually, they started giving me driving directions. And I, t- I just, instead of telling them that I was a kid or how old I was, I just said, oh, no, 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 I won't be driving. I'll be taking the train. This <laughs> so I arranged and I, I took, took the train out of, uh, out of the city. And uh, they met me at the, uh, at the train station, picked me up. And, you know, they were very surprised when they saw that I wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, the age group that they thought I was. But I was there with my little sport jacket and tie and my portfolio and presentation. And they were very... Uh, very nice. They were very, very kind, and they liked what I did, and enough so that they sent me um, uh, tracks and cars, etc., and uh, layout as to what they wanted me to do, and to design something for them, and to start doing some freelance work, which I did um, in our apartment building in uh, New York City. And uh, you know, just yeah, these things just kind of happen. But you've got to push to make them happen. They don't, you know, you can be given. Uh, entry or shown where the doors are, and then you have to decide whether you're going to go through the doors and whether you're going to open them up and, and pursue that. So, um, you know, I think we're we're given a lot of shots in our life of, of things we can do or not do. Well, let me ask you this now: Do you consider yourself 
fairly artistic? I mean, is it kind of like a natural talent, or do you have to kind of work at it? And I generally ask this to guys that are kind of in your field and your profession. We had Larry Wood on a few uh, weeks ago. He was with, um, you know, Hot Wheels, obviously. Sure. And then last week we had uh, little Daddy Roth on, and I asked both of them the same question. And I was just curious because I love the draw. I've always done it. I've always doodled. But I don't have anywhere I, – I do not possess the, the talent that you guys have. But, you know, I remember when I was taking – I wanted to be an architect, and I was taking architectural rendering in school. And the teacher just said that, you know, there's so many – and he showed me some of the other drawings. People were just, just had a natural talent. And some of us really, really had to try. And even though we really, really, really had to try, we still couldn't hold a candle to the guys that just had the natural talent. So do you feel that you have kind of a natural talent for it? Um, I feel it's sort of a, a mix with me. I, I have to work at it. I mean, I guess I do have a natural talent for it and something that I see when I, when I take a look at something. As I always tell people, you sort of have to have an eye for something. You know, I'll see something in a shape or detail that other people just won't see or they'll miss. Nonetheless, I really have to work at it. I mean, everything was self-taught, but it didn't come easily. I mean, a, a lot of trial and error. I mean, from the time that I was a kid. I'm, but I would, I would try these things, you know, and if it didn't work out, I usually you know, picked myself up, you know, dusted myself off and got back in it. I mean, I remember the first time I tried to do a, 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 a put together a plastic model kit. It was a hot rod, it was a hot rodded uh, Chevy Impala, an AMT or MTC kit. And I guess I was about seven or eight years old. It was a disaster. I mean, glue everywhere, nothing would stay <laughs> together, you know, it's just, it was a mess. But, you know, I kept trying. And the same with building, you know, as to how I would learn to do these things. I met other people that were collectors or that were builders or had experience in the industry and you know they mentored me a little bit so i would ask questions and i would try to do and uh you know if i was lucky you know sometimes the first time you know things would work right but um uh, i i feel i've had to work at it you know at the same token i've been blessed that i have certain skills and talents that i'm able to do something with but it doesn't come you know one two three you know i always see somebody else that I feel is better than me or that can do something else a little bit better or that, you know, they just, they have a certain skill set. Um, but then again, I, I, I realize that some people look at me that way too. So it, it's sort of, a, it really is a two-way street on that. Okay. Now, and I think you, on your bio, I was reading that it was right around 1982 when you kind of first started. And a couple of the early models that you did, and they're on your website, by the way. And why don't you go ahead and give a shout out to your website real quick. I'll let you do ah. that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it is cmamodels.com. Okay. And on your website, I was looking at some – and also, by the way, there's a couple of YouTube videos out there. So I was watching one of the YouTube yes. videos, which I thought was interesting because they gave a tour of your shop, which is really right. cool. And you were talking about your very early models, and I think there were a couple of Aston Martin race cars, which very similar to the ones that Carol Shelby and Salvadori uh, – um, I can't remember his last name. Uh, one in 1959. Right, right. So, like the team, the team cars. Now, yep. I'm looking at those, and did I understand correctly? Those are scratch built cars. Well, the masters are always scratch built. Generally, started okay. from nothing. Sometimes, um, I would contract somebody to do that, and other times, in later years, I would do the uh, the master myself. So, it really depended. I mean, my very first models were ones that I contracted which were an Aston Martin DB3S, but later in terms of reference to the, the Shelby and Salvadori car, which was the year that, uh, in 1959, when Aston Martin won Le Mans uh, with those two uh, co-driving, um, that was a master that I worked on. I had something really rough to start with, and I reworked it, so I've done that, or I'll start completely from scratch. It just really depends on that. I did, um, I did a few builds of, and actually, um, 
I had, uh, at times, I had uh, done award models for a number of companies and individuals and other events. And one of them was uh, one of the events was uh, the Monterey Historic uh, Races uh, when Steve Earle was running it. And uh, every now and then, he would contact me to do special award models. And I did a 12-scale uh, um, Aston DBR1, the 59 Lamont winner, and he gave that um, out. And, uh, in fact, uh, Aston Martin, they saw it and they liked it so much uh, that they contacted me to ask me to do another one for them for their, uh, uh, their displays for their uh, corporate offices back in the U.K. When you do the scales, you do, I guess, 124th, 118th, and I think there's a size a little bit bigger than that. What is the time frame on that, and how much – I mean, I'm sure there's a different degree of detail because the larger, you probably make them look a little bit more detailed because you, you have the size that you can play with versus the smaller one. So take us through the process a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you can spend um, a ridiculous amount of time actually on any of them depending on what you're starting with. You know, if you're starting from completely from scratch or if you're modifying an existing model or kit, I mean, I've done it all in terms of that. Um, you scratch or modifying or or, um, uh, or working with uh, something that's pretty much ready to go. Most of the times, though, everything I see out there needs a great deal of work. I just finished a um, – I work in a lot of different scales. I like 112 scale a lot, which is a bit bigger than 18. Mm-hmm. Um, also, 143rd was popular for years. I don't do that much with it any longer, and that's a small scale. But, uh, again, on a 43rd scale model, you can spend 20 hours. You can spend a couple of hundred hours. It really depends on what, you know, if you're doing it for a customer, what's required and also how bad the thing is that you're working with. I mean, I, I've, I've dealt with some kits and models that are absolute pigs, but they were sort of the only thing in town, and it was still easier to start with something there than absolutely nothing, uh, which was also more cost-effective for the customer because, you know, you just rack up a lot of hours and labor. Uh, I just finished a 112 scale Porsche 904 Carrera GTS for a customer of mine, and that was loosely based on an existing model, uh, which we took apart. It was kind of like doing a mini restoration. I mean, we took we took the car in or took the model in. It was a huh. piece, stripped it down, took it all apart, stripped off the paint, repainted, modified, corrected things that were flaws on the body, and uh, as well as details to match his car, and so on. And again, I ended up spending almost double the amount of time on it that I thought I was going to. And it wasn't a super complex build in that nothing opens on it. Um, but we had um, a little over 100 hours on that. And um, I, on a scratch build, you can easily spend a couple thousand hours or more. And that's including then sometimes services, uh, a chrome plate or um, a, somebody to make some molds and castings of certain parts. Um, painter. I, I can do the paint work, but I really don't enjoy it. So for the body paint, I prefer handing that to somebody else. And it also saves a little bit of time doing that. But uh, it goes on and on. I mean, you can rack up a huge amount of just hard costs. Um, I go very elaborate in having things made. I work with a graphic artist to do decals uh, as well as photo etched parts. Uh, and then uh, I'm working on another model right now, and we've had uh, the hood panels have been electroformed in nickel. And wow. photo etched details and other castings. I'm having some bronze castings made for it, some white metal castings. We're having the tires, which I just did masters for. Those are being done in a high-grade uh, polyurethane, which looks like rubber, feels like rubber, but it will outlast rubber. Um, you know, there's so many different things and, and a lot of little variables and yeah, the, the minutiae of it all that you have to think about as you're doing and how something's going to be assembled, what steps have to get done, 
you know, at, at certain stages so that it all goes together and works and so that you're not driving yourself insane. And it's always trial by error, and it's always, I mean, it's its a nonstop um, lesson for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's constant schooling. Um, I certainly don't know it all, and I think the day that I stop doing it, I'll never know it all either. Um, I was looking at some of your um, – was, the video was actually very helpful because it gave me an idea of kind of like what your tour was. And uh, the, the gentleman that was interviewing you, you were showing him – and I believe it was a deck lid, and there was maybe some very, 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 very tiny little round trim pieces that went on there. And I'm not sure if they would have been buttons or screws or what they would have been. I can't remember now exactly. But I've got to ask you this. Your eyeballs – have got to be in pretty good shape, or you've got an amazing magnifying glass because some of the detail work on your car, I'm serious, you know, is just so intricate. And, you know, even if you think about it, and I am and I don't know if you lace up the wire wheels or not like that because if you do, you're very good at it because you got these, I mean, this, the wheels are to detail, the Baranis that you do, um, just an incredible detail. Now, how much of that do you actually do? Do you farm out some of it? And then it, and have the stuff made, and then are you like totally responsible for the total assembly and the finished work? Which I presume that's the way it goes, right? That's a lot. That's a lot of it. I mean, again, I'll determine where my again the level of my skills. Mm-hmm. I'll work with a number of people that I know can do something faster than I can, or better, or they're just doing something that I don't really don't want to do. For example, on the wheels, they're actually hand spoked, so they're all correct for whatever that particular wheel is, the correct spoking pattern, the rim depth, the way it's the stepped edges, inside, outside, etc. I work with a friend of mine, and he's very good and very quick with it and has the equipment. I'll send him the specs. I'll photograph the wheels that I'm doing. I'll send him all the dimensions of what I need and how I need the wheel to go and where the tire is going to fit. The same for uh, the knockoff spinners, whether it's a two-year, three-year, and whatever the style is, and then also have the center engraved if it's a Barani or something oh. else. And so that we get everything done just right. So, I mean, my hand's in a lot of it, but not necessarily on every single part. Um, the same as I have a really brilliant machinist that I work with for some very fine detail parts. So, you know, I have to do um, particularly bezels of different sizes and different shapes. And oftentimes when I'm working on something, it's, all, it's a visual thing, too. As much as I go for absolute accuracy, which, and the end result is the model has to look like the car it's got to be accurate and sometimes you've got to go a little bit undersized or a little oversized on a part um there was a ferrari i did for a customer and the headlight bezels i came up with three different dimensions and slight different curvature that i needed on the outside of the headlight bezels wasn't sure really which one was going to work best uh, why i did so we did three different sizes and i had them done and again that was done a lot more and a lot much faster than what i would have done uh, the same for molds and castings of certain parts. You know, I'll make the master for headlight and taillight lenses, et cetera, but I will send them out for molds and castings. I know how to do it, but I hate doing it, messing around with the, the resin and all and getting that right. That's a whole that's a whole other science, and really doing it to a high degree um, is not the easiest thing. So I always source the best people that are out there. I find specialists who are really darn good at what they do. Um, I work with them well. I treat them well. Um, so we end up with a good working relationship, and, uh, but the bulk of the work I'm doing. Do you have uh, an in-house staff? Because um, I'm not sure if you do or not. Or do you? Is is when you're referring to people that you work with? That's basically farmed out. Yeah, that is these days different okay. freelancers because I don't need the services full time. There were years ago uh, when I was in Connecticut. I mean, we were going back into the early 1990s, and I had a staff. I had nine people working for me in-house as well as still outside freelancers 
and honestly, it was just, it was nine big headaches. <laughs> and it was just as much as we were doing and taking in monetarily, it was going out just as fast. There were always problems. The aggravation, the stress, it just wasn't worth it. You know, and at that point, I decided that I had to really restructure if I was going to continue doing anything with the models. And I did. And I cut it down to where it was myself and an associate. And then it, it, even that got to be too much at times. So it's, it's primarily it's myself. I represent people. I work with different, uh, uh, different builders and different uh, services. I've got uh, a few different people that I use for display cases. You know, it just depends on what exactly what I need, what kind of base, what kind of cover, if it's, you know, the style, if it's going to work with a particular piece. So there are a lot of things that get factored in that everybody doesn't realize. I mean, the, on the Porsche that I just did, um, there were four different services involved to do the, this, actually four, maybe five, to do the display case. One for the wood, another one for the display surface I wanted, another one for the acrylic cover, and another one for the engraved plaque. And everything's spec'd out, but it all fits perfectly. It, it kind of goes like clockwork because, again, I've sourced really great people and I know what they're going to deliver, and they, they understand how to work with me. What is the composition of the majority of the models? Is that, I mean, is there any die cast involved, or is it all resin? Is it plastic? Is it uh, what type of materials? A uh, combination of materials. To do die casting, it's really not something, for, at least from my, my end, for doing either low-volume limited editions, if they're one of my own production runs, or even as the, the custom build or the scratch build. Mm -hmm. uh, die casting, that's, that's you know, huge uh, multi-ton uh, heavy uh, steel tooling that's done in big factories, and it's for mass market runs, um, you know, of, of models and toys that you'll see in toy stores or offered by different hobby dealers around. Um, so the the pri predominantly the material resin. It's a high grade polyurethane resin. Also, I work with some uh, brass panels, uh, aluminum, and um, a few other materials. But so it can also be some styrenes mixed in as well. It really depends on what the you know the end result has to be. Uh, where the strengths uh, have to be on something. Again, I've and there's so much on uh, resin. Everybody thinks that just resin is resin, and it certainly isn't. I mean, my gosh, there are so many different combinations of it and uh, makeups uh, where it can be incredibly strong, uh, resilient, and uh, the, the way that it works. I mean, they use that in um, aerospace. They use it in suspension parts of automobiles, um, outdoor patio furniture, etc. And again, there are all different grades of it. So I go with something that's really um, substantial, that's not the cheap stuff, not with a lot of filler, um, as are a lot of the models that you see out there in the catalogs that dealers are offering. They're den generally made in the Orient and they're done with a very, very cheap resin. Um, so there are, you know, there are, there are issues with that at times. And the same with the die-cast metals. So uh, it's a combination of materials uh, that I work with to get the end result that I'm looking for. The plating aspect of it. Does the resin and the materials that you use, is there any metal at all? I mean, or just does the, the, the resin and stuff that you use, the plastics, are they conducive? I mean, do they, they, they work well with, with, with less? Because I'm sure you have to do some brass plating. If you guys use some chrome and, you know, obviously the aluminum finish that you need in some cases, like on valve covers and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you can get, in terms of the aluminum finish, I can get that. There are certain paints that are out there and certain automotive paints mm -hmm. in the industry. There's stuff that's great and looks just it looks just like the finish that you need. Other times I get parts plated. I mean, plenty of times, and I can have resin plated, I can have plastic plated, I can have metal plated. Oh, I go okay. to different services depending on what the material is I'm working with and what the result is that I need. Um, sometimes it's a multi-step process of plating, other times it isn't. Uh, there are even some, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
items that are out there on the market now that are great for little uh, detail use. I mean, I have a I have a, um, a plating kit that I use here that does nickel plating and simulates uh, chrome, uh, as they call it, copy chrome. So again, depending on what the parts are, what what I need done, uh, if it's a small bit, if it's something too delicate to send out, what uh, what the result has to be. Um, on a Ferrari that I did, it was a combination. Uh, the door frame, the window frames, um, I made out of brass here, and I plated them here. Uh, the bumpers were large, and I wanted a particular type of finish on them. I sent them out to a plating facility um, out in Pennsylvania that actually does uh, restoration work for a lot of automobiles. Wow. They're a great plater. Um, not inexpensive, but again, you get what you pay for. You have to, you know, uh, you really have to... Uh, bite the bullet and not try to cut corners or, or save a few pennies or a few dollars in, in, in instances like that. Um, we have a few minutes left, so I have two things I wanted to cover yet. You, you, I want to talk about the Automobilia magazine that you and Sharon are doing together. But real quick, you do timepieces and motorcycles, so you do other things besides cars. And now that information is also on your website as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I've done motorcycle models over the years. I don't do that many. And, again, part of it is just I don't have the time. I mean, the cars really take up all the time and I can I can work you know 24/7 and not do all, not get all the work done that I need to do uh, but I do like old motorcycles but I don't do anything with them any longer I had in the past in terms of the timepieces um, like a lot of car guys and and practically every one of my customers and friends they love watches I don't know what it is and I loved watches since I was <laughs> a kid it was just something there and particularly chronographs as well yep. as other types but um, I, I, while collecting uh, an assortment of other junk that I have here, I, uh, I came across some really neat, you know, vintage automotive-related watches, whether it was for an oil company or a race team or just a car item. Uh, and they were really cool. You know, they're mechanical movements, which is what I prefer. And I thought that there was also a market for it. And I started buying and selling and trading in them. And um, there is a market for it. Uh, but again, it takes a lot of time to deal with, so I'm, I'm trying to pull back from that a bit. But I've picked up a lot of neat things for myself, and uh, and uh, also sold a good deal of them to uh, to customers. So now that's a perfect segue into Automobilia magazine. So tell us about that. We got about a minute and a half left. Sure, sure. It is something that we had an idea for, um, and had been kicking around for a while. Um, and my uh, friend and uh, partner now on this, uh, Sharon Sperlin, we were talking about different. Uh, different types of magazines and things that she was looking to doing and things that I thought about and that had been out there a long time ago. There had been a magazine that had focused on, on this a little bit and then uh, the 90s, and then they went off into the weeds in terms of they, they went and started focusing just on a lot of the cheap die-cast toys and other things, and they steered far away from the, uh, the subject matter and then eventually uh, sold and uh, disappeared. So we were talking about it, and I know I have a lot of friends and dealers and customers that are involved that are the deal in automobilia, that, that buy and sell, as well as people that collect, and everybody's asking me, you know, is there anything out there? Where can I find out about this? There's nothing. And you look in the car magazines, and there's nothing. Some of the magazines that have information on car auctions that sell a great deal of automobilia constantly here in the States and overseas all around the world You'd never know that any of this stuff was being sold because half the time it isn't reported on or it's mentioned in, a, in, in one or two sentences, if that. Um, and we decided that there was a real void, that there was a need for this. The collecting is a, it's a huge market worldwide, and we wanted to offer something that really had substance, that wasn't you know, a magazine full of fluff, that were written by people that really 
didn't know anything about the subject matter that they were writing on. It was just an assignment. So we have a lot of experts. We have people that really know their field, they know their business, and they're willing to write about it, talk about it, share the information, and educate um, customers. Even if you're if you're an old hand at this, there's you don't know everything. I certainly don't. You know, as I say, I, I know just I, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and, and and I read every time I read one of the articles that's submitted by our writers, it's great. I'm learning something, and it's informative. And that's what I wanted, and that's really how we're trying to direct and steer the magazine to to not just be entertaining, but be informative, be something that people can refer to. I've had a couple of customers write in, and, and they've said it's great. You know, this is archival material, something that we can refer back to, and that's you know that's kind of the whole point of it is, is being able to fill a niche, fill a void, um, and cover a lot of territory. I mean, we're we're going to we're going to do a lot with it terms of interviews, seeing collections, places to buy and sell. We've got auction reports, a little bit of analysis in there. We have in, we have got regular writers on uh, vintage posters, on uh, photographs, on books. Marshall, uh, <laughs> we're right up against the clock here, but I do want to thank you very much. Yes. And uh, so once again, it's uh, cmamodels.com. Yes. And it's Automobile Magazine. I want to thank you very much. My special guest this evening was Marshall Bach with CMA. Models. Uh, Marshall, Merry Christmas to you, and uh, thank you again for coming on the show. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network at 7 p.m. Merry Christmas. Bobby, you want to give an announcement real quick? Christmas special next week, 7 o'clock. Yes, yeah, tune in. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.